Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about um, following Jesus. And we're going to be looking at following Jesus from a little bit different perspective. But we're going to start in the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew, uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 18. Just as a a place to come together. Um, And Jesus here is is walking along and he's, he's going to be calling... This is the first calling that he has of his, his disciples. Those, those 12 who were with him. Those 12 who, were, who stayed with him and saw the miracles, heard the teaching. And, and um, he's calling them out. Now, I, I, if you don't have your Bibles, I'm going to be putting it up here. Uh, there we go. And this is, I'm reading, uh, this is from the... Um, English Standard Version uh, reads pretty much like the NIV. But it says here, starting at verse 18, Matthew 4. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you, Lord God, that your word is established. We know it's true, and it never changes. So Lord, as we dig into your word this morning about following Jesus, help us to not only see it with our eyes and hear it with our ears, but Lord, that we would apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. If you read further on in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So to me, that seems to mean that he is still calling people today, follow me, follow me. He calls us the same way today, and he's crying out, follow me. And of course, we want to respond to that, that calling, don't we? I mean, we have, we have songs about it. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. See, you all know it. You, you know, um, we want to follow Jesus. The, however, there's a question that needs to be answered whenever we're in the process of thinking about following somebody, and that is, where is he going? Where is he going? Because if you're really serious about following someone the rest of your life, you should be interested in where is he going? I mean, if you, want, if you mean business with your commitment, you're going to end up where that person ends up. If you're following somebody... So the big question for you and to, for me is when Jesus is saying, follow me, we, we need to have that answer, that the question answered, where is he going? Now, there are some places and, and you know, ultimately we want to follow Jesus to heaven, right? But along the way, as we're following Jesus, where does he go? What does he do? I mean, we can't follow Jesus physically now, can we? No, because because Jesus, when he was walking the earth, he was walking through Galilee. We're not in Galilee. 
I mean, he, he went through, you know, Bethsaida and, and places like that. And we're not there. So when we follow Jesus, where, can, where is he going? Now, luckily, there's a, there's a chapter in the Bible that gives us an answer to this question. It's actually chapter 15 of Luke. It's Luke chapter 15. And this, this chapter basically has three parables. It's the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, or we, we know it better as the prodigal son. Okay? Now what you need to understand is, as Jesus is teaching, what he normally does is he brings, he, he shares a parable, to one parable to educate us in a spiritual truth. Then he moves on to another parable to teach another spiritual truth. A few rare occasions, primarily in the Gospel of Matthew, he actually uses two parables to communicate the exact same truth. But those are rarities. But there's only one time in all the four Gospels that he uses three parables to teach the same truth. It's like he wants to make sure that we get what's happening in here. So he gives one parable, and it's like, well, if you didn't get it that time, here's another one. Tells another parable. And then if you don't really get it with that one, here's a third. Okay? But he's giving us the same truth. And it communicates us to us, these three parables kind of communicates the path that he's taking. Where is he going? So we're going to read the first two parables, and then we're going to sum up the third parable because it's, it's, it's rather long. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 4. And it says this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Okay, Okay. we'll have one more sentence there. Until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I think I skipped. There we go. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who needs no repentance. Then he tells the story of the lost coin. He goes, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when he, she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then the, the, the next um, parable is the story of the prodigal son. Uh, to sum it up, there's a father who has two sons. There's an older uh, son and a younger son. The younger son says, you know what, I'm, I, I want to be out of here. 
Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And the the father goes, (laughs) the father goes, uh, okay, here's all the all your your money, you know everything, and um, what happens is the guy goes out and he squanders it all. He finds himself in a in a place where he has no money, no skills. All his friends left him, and he's actually feeding pigs. Not only is he feeding pigs, he is eating the pig's slop. And he has nothing. And so he decides, you know what, I'm going to go home. Maybe I'll be lucky enough that my father won't hate me me too much. And he'll allow me to be a servant. Because my my father's servants are are doing better than I am now. So he goes home and the father sees him and he runs. The the Bible says he sees him afar off. And and the father runs to his his younger son and accepts him and... um, you know, fully restores him to the, to, to the point where his brother, his older brother, who was at home working the whole time, kind of gets jealous of the attention and the love that this lost son has shown uh, by his father. Now, we're going to analyze these, these three parables, okay? And we're going to look at these three parables. And there's something that they all have in common, okay? There's something... That is, that is, that they all have in common. There's something that is in the wrong place. There's something that's in the right place. And there's something that represents God. Now, the first parable about the lost sheep in that, the first parable there, we have God represented by who? The shepherd. Okay? God is represented by the shepherd. And there's something that is in the wrong place. Any, any ideas what that would be? The one sheep. Okay, the one sheep is in the wrong place. The lost sheep is not where it's supposed to be. But there is, there is something that's in the right place. And what would that be? The 99 sheep. Okay, they're where they're supposed to be. In the second parable, we have God who is represented by who? The woman. The woman there. And there's one thing that is lost. What's lost? The one coin. And what is in the right place? The nine coins. Okay. Now in the third parable... The prodigal son, we see God who is represented by who? The father. No, I'm in the way. The, wow, I got too many clicks on there. Okay. You have the older son who's in the, wrong, who's in the right place. He's actually in the wrong place, but he's, he stayed with the father. And then you have the, the younger son who is in the right place. Okay. Now, the big point that Jesus is trying to make with these three parables, one after another, is that one of these two categories gets God's main focus. Which category gets God's main focus here? Which one? The wrong place. You got the sheep, the coin, and the younger son. They're the ones that are getting the attention of the the one who represents God. So you have the shepherd who is leaving the 99 
to go get that one. Because even one single sheep that is his possession is loved by him. He's lost in the wilderness. So the shepherd is going to go out and he's going to get, he leaves the 99 and he's going to get those sheep. He leaves the 99. That's, that's the ones who are still in his, in, in his possession. The second parable, the attention of the woman is fully on that which is lost. Her full attention is on that one coin that she can't find. She knows where the nine are. But she goes out and she tears the house apart. She lights a lamp. She looks all over for it. Now all of us can ex- know the experience of doing this. We may not have experienced the, the idea of losing one out of a hundred something. But we've all lost Something that is very important to us. And we would tear the, we would turn the house upside down looking for that one thing. So we, we kind of connect with this. Okay? Only focusing on that, rescuing that one coin. And finally, the third parable, the father's focus is on the lost son. How do we know that? Because he sits every day. The Bible, the way it reads is he sits every day looking at the horizon for his son to come back. He's looking for the son to come back. Because when he's, the Bible says when he's afar off, when that son, that, that son that was, had, had said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. He, when he was afar off, the Bible says that the father got up and ran to him. Okay? The father came running to the son. Each and every day he was praying that his son would come back. So the point Jesus is trying to make is this. His attention is, his attention is focused on that which is lost. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save the lost. He says it in his word. I have come to seek and to save the lost. And the question is, when he looks at you and you look at him and he says, follow me, where are we going? You see, the, 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 the invitation of Jesus to say, come and follow me, isn't a Sunday morning invitation only. Oh yes, that is part of it. Part of it, coming here on Sunday morning, gathering with brothers and sisters, praying together, uh, getting encouragement from one another, worshiping God together, that's part of it. But when Jesus says, come and follow me, He says more than anything, come follow me to find a lost sheep. Come follow me to find the lost coin. Come follow me uh, and welcome home another lost son or daughter. (coughs) And I think that's the the original plan of God in, in Christianity. The original version we would say. When Jesus says, follow to you, follow me to you and me, we need to ask, where is he going? And this is our destination. If our destination is not to follow Jesus, looking for the lost sheep, coin, and, and welcoming a uh, uh, son or daughter home, then 
It's not following Jesus. And when you start, you, you, when, when I start to respond following Jesus in this definition, it, we have no idea about what, uh, what's about to happen. You have no idea on what will start to happen when you start moving with Jesus towards the lost sheep, the lost coin. And when we welcome those back into the family of God. So let's get back to these two men that we read about initially in Matthew chapter 4. One of them is Peter, Simon, who was called Peter. One of them, as we know, he went to follow Jesus and he, really, he was really doing good. He, he, he followed Jesus very well. But later on in his life at a time when Jesus was arrested and, and the road to Calvary started, Peter made an adjustment in the way that he followed Jesus. He made an adjustment in the way that he followed Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse 58. It says this, And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Jesus was arrested. And Peter started following Jesus at a distance. Where the stakes are high and the cost is higher to follow Jesus. Now it involves risks. Your own safety is at risk. Your own security, your own comfort. All of a sudden, Peter makes the mistake of allowing distance in his following. Technically, he's still following Jesus, but he's following at a distance. And if you, you read the, the, the chapter, you keep reading the chapter, we know, we see people come to Peter, and Peter goes, they say, hey man, weren't you one of those guys that was hanging out with Jesus? Didn't you follow? Weren't you one of his, one of his disciples? And Peter said, man, nah, I, I don't know the man. Not me. And that happens three times. He ends up, he ends up actually cursing, swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. And what we see here is when we allow a distance in our following, our relationship to other people will change. When we allow distance between us and Jesus, the focus becomes on us. Our security, our comfort, our safety. Our focus is, is off of finding the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the lost son. You see, if these people would have come up to Peter a bit earlier and said, Hey man, aren't, aren't you one of the disciples? He would have said, Yes, man, praise God. And, and, and you can become a disciple too. Just pray with me. But all of a sudden, now there's a distance. And that affects the way that he sees the other people. All of a sudden, his whole goal is now his own comfort, his own safety, his own security. Holding on to a life, uh, that, that anything that will save his own life. But praise God, 
He came back to following Jesus. Amen. After the resurrection, he was fully restored. And then he was back at following Jesus up close. And, and immediately it was all about people again. On the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, man, after the, the Holy Spirit uh, baptized them and, and they spoke in tongues, Peter was the one that got up and his focus was all on saving the lost. And you know what? That should be our focus too. And I'm going to close here this morning by, by telling you a story that you may have never heard before. We all know about the Titanic. They made a big movie about the Titanic. And we know, you know, the, the, the disaster of the Titanic. One of the, it was actually the largest man-made object in the world at the time. There we go. The Titanic. Huge ship. And it was going from Southampton on its main journey across the, the Atlantic over to the U.S. 2,201 passengers on board. And in the middle of the night, the ship collided with, with an iceberg and it started to sink. Now, it took a long time for the, the ship to go down. It actually took about three and a half hours from the impact until it completely disappeared. So there was a lot of time for lifeboats to be placed in the ocean. But the strange thing is that when you study about this, the, the, the Titanic disaster, is that the lifeboats that were lowered into the ocean throughout the first hour after the impact, they were half Full. At, be at best, they were half full. Each lifeboat that the Titanic had held about 70 people. And it's clearly documented how many people ended up in each one of them. The first hour, they only had between 30 down to 12 people in each lifeboat. So that meant when the ship finally went down... All over the ocean, there was these people that weren't in lifeboats. They had all these lifeboats that were there, but all these people that were in the water, the lifeboats only being half full. And they had the capacity to save more people. And this is where what is called the second disaster of the Titanic happened. And that was the fact that even though there were so many lifeboats with seats to spare, everybody started rolling, rowing away. Everybody was rowing away from the, the scene of the disaster. They managed to shut out the fact that all these people were struggling for their lives. And they could have actually helped them. But they were happy with the fact that they were being saved. We're, I'm safe. We're safe. We can't chance taking anybody else on. Only one single lifeboat ever returned back to pick up survivors from the water. Now this is one picture of, of end time Christianity right here. This is one picture that, that, that shows, man, we're happy, we're safe. We're saved. 
We're happy the fact that we're making it. We've got it. We know Jesus. We're on our way to heaven. And even though this boat had, look around, there's a lot more seats where people can be saved. A lot more seats. Are we just happy with being saved? I pray that we would not end up here. I don't want to end up with the attitude. There must be another version of the story in here. Somewhere in the story, there must be another option. And there's another story within this story of the the, uh, disaster of the Titanic. And it's told through the life of a man called John Harper. John Harper was a 39-year-old Scottish evangelist. He was on that Titanic. He was on the Titanic for that cruise. He was coming. He was actually ending up going. He was trying to get to Chicago where he would preach the gospel. With him on that trip was the apple of his eye, his little daughter, Annie Jesse. She was just six years old. They were one of the, the very first to realize that something bad had happened. And they were among the first ones to get out of their cabin. And you, and you know what? Be, because of one of the lifeboats, they were being led into the ocean. Annie Jesse Harper is registered as one of the passengers. However, John Harper wasn't on that lifeboat. As he was going up, to the to the uh, to the deck to to put his daughter in the lifeboat. He was beating on every cabin. He was beating on every cabin door, telling people to get out. And as as he got to the lifeboat, he he looked at her, and, and the report is that he he kissed his daughter on her forehead, and he said, "I will see you sometime later, honey. I love you so much." And he put his daughter in the lifeboat, made sure she was well taken care of, and the lifeboat was lowered. Now is the time for him to, to follow Jesus and find the lost sheep, a lost coin, or a lost son or daughter. He ran through the ship again, banging on the cabin doors, calling out. This is what he said. Women, children, and people who don't know Jesus get to the lifeboats now. Women, children, and people who don't know Jesus get to the lifeboats now. Because his perspective was, if I die tonight, I know where I'm going. I'm just getting there a little bit faster than I thought. His thought was, but if someone dies here without knowing Jesus, they will move into an eternity without God. His calling as a follower of Jesus was finding the lost sheep, the lost coin, that finding that lost son or daughter. All around him, lifeboats were lowered. And he could have gotten into any one of them. And we wouldn't have blamed him. But he didn't. 
So it's calling for people to get into the lifeboats themselves into safety. John Harper ended up being one of the hundreds in the water that night and realizing that he was in the water and the lifeboats were rowing away. He realized that there was one more chance for survival or there was no more chance for survival. So he changed his battle cry and he started calling out at the top of his voice, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now there's countless testimonies that will testify that above all the cries of anguish that night, all the help meets, there was one male voice calling out in the darkness, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And God only knows how many people heard that gospel in the, in the last minutes in seconds of their lives and actually gave their, their hearts to Jesus right before going to eternity. About a year later, there was a reunion for Titanic survivors. And the first person to come up and give his, give his testimony was a young man called William John Mellors. He said, I was only 19 years old when I boarded the ship. And I was one of the many hundreds who ended up in the water that night. And I still remember, he said, I still remember holding on to a piece of debris, trying to make it, but realizing I'm going to die tonight before my life even has begun. And then he shared that the current brought him close to a man later identified as John Harper. This man looked at the 19-year-old and shouted to him, Do you know Jesus? And William wasn't prepared for that question at the time. He didn't know what to say. And John Harper said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And the currents brought them or took them apart again. And William was trying to process what he just heard. And a few minutes later, the currents brought them, the, the two back together again. John Harper called out, do you know Jesus now? William responded, no, sir. I cannot honestly say that I do. And again, John Harper called out, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That was the last time anyone saw John Harper. However, William John Mellors gave his life to Jesus right there in the water. Minutes later, he was picked up by the only returning lifeboat that night. And a year later, at the survivor's reunion, he shared his testimony and ended it saying, he said, quote, I was saved twice that night. And here we are. Two pictures of where we could be. One where we get in a, a, full, a half full lifeboat and just row, row away. Happy, content that we're saved. Considering our, our, our comfort and our safety higher than the risk anything to find the lost sheep, the lost coin or the lost son or daughter. Or we could be the 
John Harper's of our generation. Realizing that now is the time to follow Jesus where he's really going. Meaning we're going to give our all, our best, to find the lost sheep. To find the the lost coin. And to find that lost son. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but somehow you want to reconnect and recommit to following Jesus. Back to the original path that Jesus had you on. Maybe your your life has, 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 has looked at things, man, just, I'm making it, I'm okay. I'm comfort. I'm comfortable. I'm safe. I'm saved. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning and it's time to recommit. If you want to recommit, just bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Dear Father, we thank you, Lord God, for showing us the original the original way of what you wanted us to be as a church. And we pray, Lord, at this time of, of so much individualistic outlooks, Lord God. It's all about me. We live in a time that is so selfish. We pray, Lord, that our hearts We come back to following you, Jesus. We pray that we'll be the ones to follow you, to find the lost sheep, the lost coin, that lost son or daughter. The Lord, we would not just run to safety in the lifeboat, row away from the scene of a disaster, but Lord, we would be like John Harper, that we would be poured out and, and, and into these lives, Lord God. Those who are lost who don't know you, the lost sheep, that lost coin. But Lord, that we would gather them into your hands. Father, I pray that you would forgive us where we failed. Forgive us when we have created our own version of of following Jesus. Help us to recommit to what it truly means to follow you. Help us to seek and save that which is lost. This we pray in Jesus' name. Settle that in your hearts. I pray that you may be the kind of like the, the kid. When I, 
When I was a kid, man, I, I, I couldn't wait to invite somebody to church. My prayer was, is that this week you would seek, find somebody to invite to a place where you experience the gospel. I know you all come across people who are hurting, who are spiritually in trouble and need help. Let me encourage you this week just to show the love of Jesus. Some of you already have somebody in your mind. So we're going to pray for those people right now. Okay? Father, I just pray right now, Lord God, you see those people that you will put in our path this week. Lord, those people at work, the family members, the people that we see every, each and every day. God, help us to be like John Harper. Use us as a light as we follow you, Jesus. Lead us to those who are lost. That we can bring them into your family, God. God, put people on our hearts and give us opportunity. And give us the words to say and the love to share so that those people would come to know you. Hallelujah. And as you continue to pray, whether you're here or you're watching us online, there are some of you that are, this is for you. This is your time, your moment. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What does that mean? Well, you may look at your life and feel like you've, you've felt so lost. Just without meaning. You may be going, I don't really know where I'm going. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know what matters. If you think if something happened to you and you didn't know where you would go. The good news is that Jesus came for those who are lost. He came for the broken. He came for the hurting. He came for those who are, are spiritually sick. Who's Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's perfect in every way. He was the innocent sacrifice who died in our place. When someone sins, there has to be a payment. And Jesus was that payment. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. The Bible tells us that he died. He was put into the grave. But he was risen again. And it also says that anyone who, and that includes you and me, who calls on his name would be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And if that's you this morning and you say, I need his grace, I want his forgiveness. I want to know what it means to be in his family. I turn away from my sin. And I give my life to Jesus. If that's your prayer, I need forgiveness. I need grace. I give my life to Him. 
whether you're here or you're online watching us, would you just pray with me? Just pray with me. You can repeat after me. Pray, Heavenly Father, I give my life to Jesus. Save me. Forgive me of all my sin. Fill me with your spirit. I want to know you. And I want to follow you. Lead me to show your love. To be a light. In a very dark world. Thank you for new life. As I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, I thank you for those who have committed their life to you. I pray for those, Lord God, for those who have recommitted their lives to following you. Lord, I pray that you would give us all a desire to read your word. Pray every day. And Lord, to seek those who are lost and dying without you. Give us the strength to follow you each day, Lord God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Just let me say this. We'll close in prayer. If you need help in your walk, doesn't matter whether you're watching us here online or if you're, you're here. If you need help, we are here for you. You can call us. You can email us, middleriverag at gmail.com. You can message us on Facebook. You can uh, comment and, and you, on our YouTube get a hold of us. If you live in the area, join us here each week. All the things that we've announced. But I pray that you would find a place where you can grow in relationship with God. Amen, church? So let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you, Lord God that you do save those who are lost because we've all been lost without you. Thank you for finding us, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to be on the lookout for those who you are searching for so that we can speak the words of life into their lives and bring them to you, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.